0: Welcome back, Bookwolves. Welcome back. Thank you so much for checking back in. It is <laughs> It's obviously been a bit more than one week since I last uploaded. I really hope every podcast doesn't start like this. It's becoming a bit of a bad habit, but I am sorry for the delay. Um it's obviously been about three months. Um for anyone who's stuck around this long, holy Holy shit. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um your patience has been endless and I could not thank you enough. Anyway, to move on from that, I don't want to dwell on that too long. We'll go straight on. So today, um I'm by myself again, unfortunately. I'm not joined by any guests, but today we are chatting about something pretty um pretty interesting. So this conversation kind of comes off the back of a controversy surrounding the New York Times bestseller list, and this was back at the end of August, early September, so not too long ago, only about a month ago, and this was about someone essentially cheating, you can't see, but I'm doing quotation marks around that word, cheating the New York Times bestseller list. And this is an interesting topic, because at a first glance, it seems pretty obvious that what happened was wrong and where you should stand on it, but there's actually some more information involved that you might not be aware of that, um, well, I don't see it changing your opinion, but at least it should open your eyes to the degree of uh, this cheating scandal. So I am talking about, of course, if you haven't heard of it already, it's called Handbook for Mortals, and it is by an, an author called Lanny Sarum, and essentially what happened was this book was meant to be it's from a debut author, so she, it's, she's a debut author, um, new author, new publishing company as well, so it, it wasn't an established publishing company, and out of nowhere, this, this book became the number one, so not just on the bestseller list, New York Times bestseller list, but it became number one, and obviously everyone was a bit confused, because not many people had actually heard of this book, there was no hype leading up to it, the publishing company was new, she was new, no one knew what was going on. Now, if you don't know how the New York Times bestseller list works, it's actually pretty complicated. So to summarize, I guess you could just say that essentially you need to sell between 5,000 to 10,000 books um, in one week to make it onto that list. And if the next week you don't keep that up, you'll drop off that list immediately. Uh, There's obviously a lot more involved. It's a very, very hard thing to get a scope on. Normally it would take people, uh, professional publishing places, uh, months to figure figure that kind of data out, but obviously they use things like the, uh, what's it called, the Nielsen book scans, so that is a system that uh, kind of keeps a scope on book sales for things like Amazon and big bookstores, that sort of thing, but then you can't count indie book sales and independent bookstores, that kind of stuff, so it's a really hard thing to manage. You'll never know for sure how many books have actually been sold in that week, but essentially, to summarize, you just need to sell notably 5,000 to 10,000 books in a week to make it onto that list. Now, Lenny Sarum, she didn't just make it onto that list, they made it into the number one spot, so obviously everyone was really confused. And after a bit of investigation, people found that they had obviously bought in bulk. Buying in bulk isn't a relatively new thing, but it is. it is a... It's a process that's looked down on drastically if it's done for the purpose of making it onto the New York Times bestseller list. And to make it worse, after further investigation, they found that they'd bought in bulk after finding out first if that uh, bookstore actually um, gave their data to the places that would support them getting onto the New York Times bestseller list. So they definitely did this with the intention of boosting this book onto the New York Times bestseller list. And some people think the reason they did that is because they are actually trying to piggyback a movie adaptation off of this book as well. And they wanted to build some hype for that, potentially turn it into a Harry Potter situation. And it's, <laughs> it, it's backfired. It's backfired really bad. Now here's the thing. I actually in a way sort of feel bad for Lanny Sarum because uh, obviously as an aspiring author, I get the struggle of feeling like you're just you have no way of making it out there and having a you know, a publisher wanna boost her out there in that way. See, here's the thing, I don't even know if she was in on it. I don't know if she was aware that they were doing this big sale boom, but realistically she would have had to have been. And the person producing the movie is someone you might actually be familiar with, so his name is Thomas Ian, I think, and he was Kevin in American Pie the original, if you can Remember that one. I don't really know if any other movies he's in, but he's, I'm sure he's in a few. But I guess you could say he's a bit of a B or C list celebrity. So he, she had this C list or B list celebrity behind her as well. She was um, optimistic for the future, but then obviously they did this, and it's just it, it hasn't gone well. So a missed this. This was massive news. Um, it actually made it onto a lot of. Mainstream news channels as well, talking about the fact that this new author bought her way onto the New York Times bestseller list, and I'll tell you mainly why I feel bad. So the main reason I feel bad is because she's not the first to do it, and she's. what I mean is that there are a lot bigger names who have done this exact same thing for the exact same purpose and have basically got away with it. Buying books in bulk to get onto the New York Times bestseller list isn't illegal or anything like that. It's, again, looked down on, and I think New York Times bestseller list actually puts a little knife um, symbol next to your book if they, if they believe that that's what you've done. Um, but there are some other big names who have done the exact same thing, and I'm obviously going to link the articles below that I use for my source here, but I'm going to read out some of the names that uh, you might also be familiar with. So ironically, it's mainly big businessmen and uh, politicians who do this sort of thing. Uh, the first name, I don't know if it'll be surprising to you or not. Um, honestly, regardless of your opinion on the guy, I think it's not really surprising that they would do this for a business standpoint, but it was Donald Trump's Art of the Truth. Out of the Truth? Art of the Deal? Jesus. Uh, I fucked that one up. I meant Art of the t- art of the Deal. So they did the basically the same thing. They bought in bulk to give the book a boost up the sales charts, it's believed that they did the same thing essentially in finding out first if those sources that they were buying the books from would contribute to the New York Times bestseller data. Then you've got, uh, you know, people like Ted Cruz, Herman Cain, Mitt Romney, uh, all these politicians or businessmen who have done essentially the same thing. They've given their book a boost, which technically they're allowed to do, but is looked down on, but in these cases, for whatever reason, it seemed to go unnoticed. I guess it was mainly because there would have been a lot less suspicion around it, because these are, uh, however you feel about them, they are pretty well-known people, and it's believable that they would have a rather large fan base who would be willing to buy that book straight off the bat. So those are some of the more notable names, but uh, honestly the list goes on and on as to the full extent of names who have done this thing i think the reason this uh newest story has come up so much though is mainly just because it was a new person new publisher and they didn't just boost it onto the new york times bestseller list they boosted it to the number one spot and that made a lot of people angry to put it in perspective on the american amazon website where you can buy the book uh, handbook for mortals it has about 200 copies re- um listed as being reviewed And the the overall consensus is that it's a one-star or two-star book. And I was reading through some of the reviews, and a surprising amount of them did actually talk about the quality of the book itself, which apparently was not good. (laughs) Uh, But they, almost all of them, did mention as well the fact that it was, like, it bought its way onto the New York Times bestseller list, so I imagine... That did throw an element of bias into their opinion on the book itself as well. They might not have rated it so lowly, but uh, reading through them, apparently the book itself is actually pretty crap as well. I won't go too into it, but uh, they were saying, making some points about uh, really bad dialogue, really bad use of grammar, like it wasn't even uh, edited and proofread that well. And the plot itself apparently fell quite flat and fell into a few YA cliches that at this point are just becoming... Really, really, not even just tired, but frustratingly exhausted tropes. So yeah, moral of the story, do not buy your way onto the New York Times bestseller list. I was a little surprised as to how low the number actually was to get onto that list. 5,000 to 10,000 copies might seem like a lot, but in the grand scheme of things, publishers expect their books to, um, when they publish a new author, they expect them to sell around 25 Thousand copies within, I think it's annually. It could be monthly, but if I remember right, it's in the first, it's in the first year. So twenty five thousand in a year, obviously, doesn't sound like a lot when you compare it to five thousand in a week. But really, that wouldn't be that hard if you had a big enough fan base. And when I say big enough fan base, I'm talking about um, let's take for example the YouTubers recently who have been putting books out there. This is, I imagine, why and how they've managed so easily to make it onto the New York Times bestseller list, regardless of um, whether their book was written well or poorly, or whether the story itself was that interesting. A lot of the skepticism there is that they're all quite young, and aside from becoming YouTube sensations, there's not really a whole lot else that they could weave into a narrative that would be interesting. I don't really follow any YouTubers who have done that, and I don't—I haven't read any of the books, so I'm not really gonna pass judgment on that specifically. But I, I can understand—I uh, can understand the suspicion there. My point, obviously, though, is that those YouTubers have a massive, massive fan base—you know, millions of subscribers. Uh, Five thousand people to buy the book in the first week is such a marginal percentage that it. It's almost a given. Your book, if you have that fan base, that platform, you essentially are guaranteed a spot as a New York Times bestseller, and that's why they get snatched up by publishers so easily. The publishers see the potential there, um, not necessarily for a good book or a good story or a good writer. They see the potential for those sales to make it onto the New York Times bestseller list, and they snatch it up. And I think that's where a lot of the frustration comes from, from smaller um aspiring writers who have been aspiring writers a lot longer than these YouTubers and they are being shunned and rejected and they're growing frustrated seeing these people come out with a book out of nowhere, which they believe would essentially be about nothing in particular and getting snatched up by big publishers straight away. That's why the, that's why they're getting frustrated, but really um, me myself, I couldn't really care less. I mean, I see the business side of things as a publisher. That's what you're there to do. Really? They're, They're not there to, support you for the sake of supporting you. They're there to make money. They are a business, so that makes sense to me. Okay, so where are we at? I've basically discussed how you would become a New York Times bestseller. I've discussed a few of the people who have cheated the system, and we've discussed uh, Handbook for Mortals and the unfortunate situation with poor old Leanie Sarum. And, um, yeah, again, I'm not too sure where I land with her, whether I feel bad for her or not. I'm convinced that she has to have been aware of what was happening. But at the same time, I think it was just her own insecurities as to thinking that she was destined to fail and seeing this potentially big publisher behind her with a celebrity face saying, yeah, we'll do this and it will be a great success. I mean, where was she really to go from there as to say no? It's possible when it was pitched to her because it would have been pitched to her. Then the other way around that they would have pitched it as being a smart business move rather than what it is, which is a bit of a deceptive and sneaky move. And the whole situation is just not not proven a wise choice. I unfortunately for Lenny, I think if she wants to be a writer and if she has any chance of really being successful going forward, I think she's gonna have to take up a pen name. And if that is a pen name, I think she's gonna have to take up a, take up a different pen name. It's just it's not looking good. Lenny Sarum. Like I said, I'm going to link a few articles below if you're listening to this on uh, you know SoundCloud, the iTunes app. I will do my best to link it down there for you guys as well, but uh, you can find it on YouTube. That's another place you might be listening to this, so you should be able to find the links easy enough if you want to read more uh, specific information about what happened here. And you know what? I would recommend going and checking out Handbook for Mortals on Amazon as well. That's not me saying go and buy it. I would Probably recommend against that at this point, Um, but I would recommend going checking out and having a read of the reviews because it's pretty interesting how people are reacting to this process. A process that's been around for a long time, a process that has been used by a lot of different people with quite no reaction, and uh, it's just interesting. Very, very interesting. Now, there was something else I wanted to chat about that is kind of in the same strain as cheating the New York Times bestseller list, uh, buying your way onto the charts, and this is something I've wanted to discuss for quite a while, and it just feels like this is a good time to do that, especially while it's a podcast where it's just me chatting on my own, it'll be a lot easier to do it this way. Anyway, that is uh, YouTubers buying subscribers. So as you should already be aware, I have a YouTube slash Booktube channel called Wolfshot Publishing, that's where I started on the YouTube platform, and... I'll be completely honest with you for the sake of uh, clarity, I I haven't bought subscribers, I've never done that, but what I have done is I've bought advertising I guess you could say, I've done the ad words thing where it'll run your video through a few different advertising systems, and here's what I'll say happened when I did that. It generated a shit ton of views, so for about 50 bucks my first video from a channel which had like three subscribers it generated about 3000 views for that first video. You won't be able to find that video now because I've made it private because, not because of that, but because it was just an embarrassingly awkward video. But basically what happened was I got about 3000 uh, views. And before you get too excited, before you start loading up AdWords yourself, I'm gonna say, don't do it. That That's my opinion. Do not do AdWords. Do not do Google ads for your YouTube videos because yes, it got a lot of views, but it damaged the video irreparably you may be wondering how that could possibly be the case and I'll tell you it's it generated a lot of views okay but here's how it works with YouTube Um, if you have a lot of views on the video but there's not a lot of likes or even dislikes comments if they don't watch the video for very long YouTube picks that up as being a bad video and it will it has less chance of being recommended in the searches and that's exactly what happened with Google Ads it's it got my video a lot of views Guess how many likes uh, slash dislikes it got? Guess how many comments it got? Zero, literally zero. Three thousand views and not one person, um, you know, gave it a like or a comment. Yeah, I, I wasn't, I wasn't buying that. It it didn't make sense to me. So I tried it again with one more video. Same thing happened. Couple of thousand views, not one like, not one comment, uh, just no no interaction whatsoever. And when I looked at the analytics. I found that the videos were only watched on an average for 20 seconds, so these people were finding the videos, basically clicking on them and clicking off of them. That seemed incredibly suspicious to me. And look, I'm not accusing Google Ads of anything, but I do think the video was advertised in a way that um, that it it didn't make sense to me. I think the video was ad videos were advertised. ...to people that had no genuine interest in watching them. So for whatever reason, those people felt that they were getting something out of watching them. And that's where where I am suspicious. And I'm aware that with Google Ads, you can change where the video is going to be shown. And the reason I say that is because the video was mainly uh, watched in countries where... How do I say this? Uh, In Eastern countries. It was mainly watched in Eastern countries. In really obscure places where the speaking language is hardly English. So that didn't make a whole lot of sense to me either. And I'm aware that you can change it so that the video will only be advertised in other places. But that's what I tried for the second video and it yielded the same results. So the video was watched in the places I chose, but again, no interaction. So that's where I was with advertising. And that's a completely uh, legitimate idea, advertising your video to give your channel a boost. I just found that it doesn't work. Simple as that. Now, as for buying subscribers, this is a different story altogether. I doubt you would find many honest people who feel that buying subscribers is something that anyone could see as honest or reasonable or, yeah, even allowed. YouTube doesn't allow it. Obviously, if they find out you've been doing it, your channel will get canned. But it's unfortunately something that is almost impossible for them to measure unless, obviously, the channel gets a million subscribers in a day For no reason whatsoever, but even some channels I have seen have gotten away with just about that. I am going to use one channel as a reference, and I'm not going to say who they are or what their channel is called, mainly because I don't know for sure that my opinion on what happened is truth, and it's it's, uh, potentially true that they came across uh, the new subscribers legitimately, so I don't want to throw them under the bus, but the circumstances were very suspicious to me. So for now let's just call them let's call them uh Johnny Smith. So Johnny Smith has a YouTube channel and Johnny Smith had about uh, 900 subscribers at that point I had about 100 and I was an I was a big fan of Johnny Smith's channel. I thought they were uh very you know, open and honest and unique in a way that was raw for the booktube community, which is essentially a pampered down, mostly censored community. I found, uh, yeah, it just, I just thought it was something very unique. And here's what happened with Johnny Smith. I, I During the time I was following Johnny Smith's channel, uh, one of their videos, so they were getting on average maybe about uh, 100 views per video, 200 tops. And then they do a new video. It's a video that has been done to death by every other channel and yielded results compatible with their channel. So this type of video never really blew up. They did this video, and out of nowhere, it's got a few hundred thousand views. And of those few hundred thousand, thousand views, the channel got uh, went up to getting about 2,000 subscribers a day. And to put it in perspective... That is essentially the amount of subscribers that a channel with a few hundred thousand subscribers would be getting every day. So this is a channel with 900 subs, goes from getting uh, roughly about two subs a day to 2,000. That was weird to me. Now, I believed in uh, Johnny Smith, so my first impression was that they must have got a shout out by a big channel. Someone big had given them a massive platform, so I was like, wow, that's amazing, and I I went on the search. No one, no one had given them a shout-out, and trust me, I scoured the internet. If there was anyone big enough who had given them a shout-out to incur that kind of uh, explosion on their channel, you would find it, and I didn't. There was no shout-out. There was no uh, massive advertising movement. It's just for what... And um, I was able to look at the analytics for that as well through... Uh, YouTube application, which isn't invasive or anything. It's something everyone uses, or if you are a YouTuber, you should be using. It's called TubeBuddy. And TubeBuddy essentially tells you some of the public analytics for other channels which you're allowed to view for only for the reasons of maybe seeing where your own channel could improve. And one of those analytics was um, how the, how the subscribers were coming, whether they were coming from a third-party link. So, for example, if another bigger channel linked to this channel you could click that link and it would say in the subscribers analytics whether that was the reason for the sub. But the subscriber analytics were saying that the most of most of the people that came through were coming through by searching specifically in the search bar for Johnny Smith. So Johnny Smith was a an unknown channel and then one day went to getting thousands of subscribers because people started searching for Johnny Smith in the search bar. Even though no one, seemingly no one, gave them a shout out. That was suspicious to me, and obviously it it led me to the assumption that they bought the subscribers. You would be very, very surprised as to how advanced these subscriber selling systems are nowadays. You can get subscribers who leave likes, who leave unique comments. Um, It's, yeah, it's very hard for YouTube to manage this stuff. And ultimately, at the end of the day, here's where I am I unsubscribed to Johnny Smith. But I don't really care. Like, if that makes Johnny Smith happy, having false subscribers or whatever, then go ahead, man. Like, that's cool. Whatever. You do you. But the reason I unsubscribed is because I felt that I couldn't watch someone who I felt was being dishonest, who was pretending that they were... uh, They were pretending, essentially, that they were surprised by this influx of new subscribers and they were so honored and so humbled when, in reality, I... I I could only believe that the subscribers had been bought. There was... I just... I didn't know how else it could have happened. But I don't want people to think that I'm bitter or resentful or anything like that. Because like I said, I don't know that for sure. They could have come through entirely legitimately. Seems very unlikely, but that could have happened. And um, yeah, maybe Johnny Smith is, you know, just doing their thing. And maybe they did wake up one day. See all the new subscribers and they're like, holy shit, this is amazing. And I can only imagine what that would be like. But here's the moral of that little story. It's that people will notice and people will be suspicious if you do stuff like that. And here's the thing. If you do it for the point of making money, not going to work. Even for Johnny Smith, not going to work. If you buy subs for the point of giving your channel a boost, also not going to work. Like I said before, here's what happens. They come to the video, but they don't watch the whole thing. So your video actually ends up being less recommended. I still uh, look at Johnny Smith's channel every now and then, and his videos get um, you know shit ton of views, but they aren't recommended. Videos with that many views have to be recommended for some of the tags that they're putting on their unique tags for those videos, and they aren't coming up as recommended. So videos with fewer views are being recommended, but they aren't, which means people aren't watching the video for very long which, again, uh, makes it even more suspicious. But that's the point. Buying subscribers doesn't work. It, it's been proven dramatically it does not work. And if you do it to look like you have a bigger channel than you have, people are going to notice, and it's just going to make you look bad. It's it's actually pretty embarrassing. It does kind of suck because um, it leads you to pretty much the conclusion that your only choice is to do it legitimately and just trust that your content will pull you through. Even advertising, I would have hoped paying money to have your video advertised was a genuine enough way to give your channel a boost, just isn't true. I mean, maybe you've uh, had different success with that than I did, maybe I just did something wrong, but I've found so far that it just doesn't work. But yeah, two similar situations, you've got books buying their way through to New York Times bestseller and copying massive backlash, and you've got YouTube videos buying subs and then not being recommended and not finding actual new viewers for that reason. So I think the moral of the story here is that it just it doesn't work out for you. Even if you're a bigger name, you might get away with it, but it doesn't actually pose any benefit for you. It just It seems silly. It just seems very it seems very disingenuous. It's it seems like a crap dick move, you know? Just be honest with your readers, with your watchers, with your listeners. Just be transparent, and um, yeah, and everything will come from there. Anyway, I'd like to have a conversation with you guys about this. Maybe uh, I feel wrong. Let me know how you feel about the Johnny Smith situation, where you would land um, with that. It's okay to criticize me for my view. I I realize my view on Johnny Smith is probably a bit critical, but um, yeah, I don't know. Honesty is a big thing for me, and I wasn't feeling like I was being... Um, as a viewer and as an audience member, I don't feel like Johnny Smith was being honest with me. But let me let me know what you think. Let me know what you think about um, buying your way onto the New York Times bestseller list. And let me know if you think that's uh, an entirely reasonable thing to do to give yourself a boost as a writer. And um, yeah, let's have a chat about it. I'm already writing up details for the next podcast, which should be up next Friday. So please do me a favor. And if you're watching on YouTube, subscribe to the channel. If you're watching on iTunes, just uh, make sure you're following. And yeah, same with SoundCloud. Thanks so much for listening, guys. I really love doing this. I really love making videos on my uh, YouTube channel, Shop Publishing as well. But the podcast, it's something I've wanted to do even long before I wrote my first book. So it's exciting to be sitting down here and putting out content like this. And I hope I do get to keep doing it. I am hoping to have a guest on next week. So I've actually been chatting to a few people already. But next week's uh, podcast is going to be a bit more writing related and Naturally, I am going to hopefully have a writer on for that so we can have a bit of a back and forth. Alrighty, guys, thanks so much for listening and tune in next time. Catch ya!